okay, whatever. We can figure it out later. So let's record. Let us do this thing that we call a pod. How am I coming in? Because I'm far away from the mic. You sound perfectly fine to me. Awesome. So I'm just gonna keep talking like this. Uh, uh, we need we uh, we need to do a, We need to do a funny thing for the intro, so that I could put the music. I mean, I would suggest just like playing funky music, white boy, but. I'm not going to because well, <laughs> now our our theme song is a lot of things, but funky is not one of them. Play that funky music, why boy? Bum, 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 bum. Play that funky music, why? What did I tell you about getting sued and us not wanting that? Yeah, but like <laughs> I've already sung before, so yeah, it's I okay. know. And every single time you open your mouth, it's it's just like all I hear is you're gonna get sued. Because people who copyright music are litigious pricks. Welcome to episode 15 of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at a critically divisive film and see on what side of the consensus they fall on. My name is Derek Gade. The other guy is Juan Barkeen. Say hi, Juan. Hi. And uh, this is my pick this week, and I think I did okay. <laughs> did you? I'm pretty sure I did. I mean, I saw what you gave it on Letterboxd. Yeah, I which was exactly the same thing as me. Better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so let's get right to it. The movie we watched for the show today is Blackula, released in 1972, directed by William Crane. What? What? Yes. Uh, Juan, what the hell is Blackula about? Blackula is not the camp spectacular i expected from Same the here. title the implications of the title really just throw like and honestly even the first scene of the movie kind of just implies this semi ridiculous movie about a black vampire yeah. who is dracula but he's not because literally the movie opens with this like kind of fascinating scene it's a great scene it's a great yeah, scene like it's 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 great in production, great in everything, but it's just like Mamualde, which yes. is uh Blackula's name, actual name, and and Count Dracula, just kind of like chit chatting before you know he's Count Dracula. And I, like at one point, like, <laughs> I think like like his just his his dialogue, uh, Dracula's dialogue is just 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 gold in the way it's written and spoken and delivered. Here's the thing. The movie starts off in the, what's it, 18th century in Transylvania, and yeah. Alma Walde, played by the great uh, William Marshall, who is great in this role. Best part of the fucking movie. Uh, he and his wife, played by uh, Vanetta McGee, go to Transylvania on a sort of what, it, what appears to be a diplomatic mission, but it soon turns sour because uh, Dracula goes from being sort of the uh, foppish, vaguely threatening host that we know him to be into a way, way fucking racist, pro-slave trade aristocrat, which I guess if you think about the character of Dracula a bit, makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense, but, like, you could tell he was a fucking racist from, like, the, like, I think his, like, one of his first lines was just, I've never before had the opportunity of entertaining personages from the, er, dark continent. What dark continent? Like, this is a fucking like, Looney Tunes cartoon from the 30s. The thing is, like, Mamawalda doesn't, like, give any fucks in that scene. He's just like, sir, are you ill? <laughs> No, it's a great it's a great scene. Better than really any scene like that deserves to be really. Film. And I know. Uh, the thing like and then it like 
it very much slyly introduces you to the fact that this is not going to be just like a yes. completely ridiculous movie. No, it basically, uh, contrary to popular belief, uh, well, belief pe- of people that haven't actually seen the movie, Blackula placed the material pretty straight. It's not really a, yeah. a campy comic horror. It's really more like a like a police procedural thriller horror hybrid. I mean, it's two things. It's the police procedural on one hand, and it's the the romance narrative on the other. Yeah, it's kind and of the vampire thing on the and other. And the vampire thing, yeah. obviously. Whatever. Come on. <laughs> uh, which leads us into a great intro credit sequence, a great animated intro credit sequence. Uh, set to uh, a great theme song by the legendary arranger Gene Page. Yeah. Uh, the intro credits sequence is amazing, and the score is great. The intro credits are really, really beautiful. They're just so simple and so satisfying. The vampire bit came out of absolutely nowhere. Like, had I, like, walked into this and not known that it was Blackula, I, like, <laughs> the, the the opening just doesn't really seem that, like, like there's no implication up until the point where, like, this dude literally walks away and then shows up with, like, vampire gals and this these, like, fangs out of nowhere. <laughs> For a brief moment after the intro credit sequence, we think we might be getting sort of a campier movie because we're introduced to our oh, two first God, characters. God. Don't remind uh, me. They're gay fucking fashion designer something. Like, yeah. I don't know what the fuck yeah. they are. They're some... Bobby and Billy... An interracial gay couple. Progressive. Progressive. Here's the thing, and I wrote this, this in my this letter. This movie is not even remotely progressive. No, no, no. no. Here's it's the, not as this, progressive as it wishes it was. No, here's the thing. I wrote about this in in my Letterboxd review for this movie is that there's this push-pull in a lot of black exploitation movies where they're like progressive and regressive at the same time. Progressive because, oh, you have black heroes, black themes, um, this this new mode of filmmaking that an entire uh, group of people can see themselves in that you know can't see themselves in like sort of classic Hollywood films that came before because of well we know exactly what yeah but on the other hand you got people using the f word for gay people in this movie not just once no literally the only way they're like <laughs> the only way they refer to every single gay person is by yelling those faggots and I'm just like oh, okay thanks that's like uh, that's cute. That's this. That's a little disheartening. It's cute. You guys are you guys are trying, I guess. On one hand, <laughs> on another <laughs> hand, you're failing miserably, but it's okay. <laughs> but no, it's 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 actually very cool to see like this this movie just shamelessly embedding like '70s black culture into a very much plain genre narrative that's been done time and time again and that's ultimately what works best about it is that it's an intriguing hybrid of sensibilities because yeah like it's not like when you think of a black exploitation film this is not the image you have of it and this movie works better because of that friction yeah and i mean like it it uh it, watching it reminded me of um which i guess also <laughs> is because of the fact that it's like a a genre romance narrative contemporary black culture from the period it's from hybrid which uh was a uh, spike lee's the sweet blood of jesus since i just saw that like what was it either this year or last year i can't remember recently uh, well, technically <laughs> technically last year but this year yeah michelle and i saw it this year but like that because it, that's because that's basically spike lee's version of ganjan hess which is probably the black exploitation horror film in terms of just 
idiosyncratic weirdness and 70s black culture. Yeah, but it's kind of fascinating to me that, like, these movies still influence today. But here's like, the thing, they still though. hold influence today. Here's the thing, though. This movie isn't Shaft. Yeah, that's true. It's not like it's it's not like Chuck Turner or anything. This is not like, oh, I'm a badass and shit needs to be done. No, it's just I this love lot, this, this woman this and I want her. This is a lot lower key than you would expect. Yeah. So yes, uh, and uh, I was glad to see that Canadian acting legend Gordon Pinsent wasn't wasted in his small little tiny role as the token white guy. The token white guy. He was a token white guy. He was, it's true. Yeah, I'm 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 for Canadians and everything. So I know you are. That's fine. I'd like to you talk should be brief- for Canadians and me. Ah, uh, comedy. <laughs> anyway, go on. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but in a way, this movie is kind of a tonal mess because it was sort of juggling all like because oh, you I have agree. the horror, I, yeah. you have the horror, you have the romance. There's like musical numbers in the middle There's of it. There's this one big musical segment that's just shoved into the middle of it. Like it's I mean, like this like like funky performance in the yeah, middle of the club. Yeah, they're in a club and there's this house band playing this uh a 70s flavored funky soul R&B deal. Yeah. And <laughs> it has no business in this movie. It has no really. business and they cut to it like more like often than I think every single conversation that takes place in that club. At once. <laughs> and in that club, like, Mama Walde, as Blackula, makes a crack about wanting to drink a Bloody Mary. And I'm like, yeah. ah, damn it. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I love so many. And then, like... spoiler alerts for Blackula, the movie ends just to give uh, an idea of how out of whack the tone is at, at times. The movie ends with Blackula committing suicide by sunlight because his beloved Tina who appears to be the reincarnation of his wife from the 18th century, you know, gets staked and he has no reason to live anymore. And I'm trying to think, uh, and this is really big and important and a big downer in this film, not just because from a thematic point of view, it basically says, well, the only way that you can rid yourself of slavery is if you die. That is a bummer. That's a bummer ending to a movie. It really also, is. But and also all- because of the fact that the entire movie hinges on the fact that, like, their romance actually works. And, like, Blackula is actually, like, he has so much. And, like, I hate calling him Blackula because, like, they literally only refer to him as Blackula once in once. the entire yeah, movie. Yeah, that's right. Otherwise, uh, he's Mama Walde, the African Yeah, prince. he's Mama Walde, the African prince. Well, or Mama Walde, just the dude who, the, the yeah, strange just, dude who showed a, up. At yeah, the, what a weird dude with his velvet cape and his <laughs> fake teeth. Mama, like, the whole movie, like, very much tries to focus on giving Mama Walde, like, depth of character. Like, there's an interesting movie in here about, I mean, there's an obvious one-to-one correlation between a slavery and a vampirism. Oh, yeah. Well, There's a pretty direct correlation, and the movie doesn't really engage with that. It doesn't at all because... And it, I would really like I mean, to see a movie that would. Are you surprised, though? I'm not surprised. I I mean, I'm not quite sure what the tone... I'm sure that there was something at AIP who produced the movie. It was like, okay, I got this movie here about this va- this black vampire, and it's about you know culture shock and slavery but aip i'm sure wanted like sort of a they they wanted a shaft basically and i guess that doesn't really meld like I, and, and i think uh the sweet blood of jesus i haven't seen it but i think that's a step more in the direction of the movie that i wanted to Very see with blackula so. 
I would think. And it also has all of the style, like the stylistic tones that I really, really loved out of Blackula. There's like a lot of really, really like beautiful shots in, in, in Blackula and just two scenes in particular that I loved with all my heart. But like for an ex, like a black exploitation film, like there's a shocking lack of like TNA shots and like kind yeah, of pre- like exploitative beats. It's pretty, it's pretty classy for, for yeah. a movie of its ilk. Very much so. And again, with the title Blackula, you don't expect classy. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is it, it is a pretty classy movie in that respect. I mean, there's there's like there's some weird touches here and there, like the morgue technician with the hook hand, oh and God, yes, and the all the club sequences with the band. It's some of it and is really just, weird. Yeah, but like the 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 like the two shots in particular that I'm thinking of. That I'm gonna I I'm gonna I'm gonna guess one of them, and I'm sure you'll Which agree one? with me. Uh, when the vampire that's in the morgue comes to life and she runs when towards Juanita the camera. When Juanita runs toward claw Juanita, that's her name. guy, yes. And she runs towards the camera in slow motion. That's a brilliant shot. It's beautiful, 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 beautiful. But the other one that I loved with all my heart, just because of the coloring, the way it, like, it comes, like, it just, uh, it, it's, um... When, basically, literally from the moment that the dancer gets to her house... And it's just like exploring her house. I feel like establishing a little more, like like fleshing out her character a little more, just by <laughs> this showing. Is, this, that is she's... Sound, this is gonna sound like a weird comparison. This sounds very Jean Delman. Really? A little bit. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, like I guess. Like that. Really. I mean, she literally doesn't say a single word until she's like, "Wait a second, he's not in the picture or whatever." <laughs> but like literally, like you go through like. Like, there's multiple shots of, like, just going through her house to get, like, technically they're plot-driven or for the sole sake of, like, providing a little more to the Dracula legend. But, like, it's just, like, you see her photography, you see that she has a dark room, and it's like, oh, this woman was just, like, some lady at the fucking club taking pictures of (laughs) these people, and now she has a dark room, and she has a life, (laughs) and she's a really good photographer. That's an interesting sort of, like, uh, sidetrack. Like, the movie goes on on these tangents that don't ever get resolved. It's true, but also just the way the dark room was shot and the way, like, he comes up to her to kill her was really, really good, too. I mean... Uh, I mean, a dark room just in red is like Power Shot 101. It's, it's, impos- it's impossible to make it look bad. I feel like you could. Ma- I feel like I've seen it look bad in movies before. I can't remember what this like one coming of age movie was with some kid as a photographer, but I remember hating the way they shot the dark room in that movie. And Are I you thinking of Boyhood? <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I am. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Oh I like that you were like 100% dismissive of this piece of shit movie about this kid photographer there. Literally the most acclaimed film of last year. Yeah, but like, okay, admit it. His entire photography bit was like bullshit. It like felt I don't mind, out of I don't, nowhere. Listen, I don't mind that shit at all. It was you know? so, no. It's Blake it's, it, it's Lauder doing Cameron Crowe. I'm all for it. Ugh, no, I'm not because I don't give a shit about Cameron Crowe anymore at this point in my life. But whatever, we're not going to keep on talking about this. Is a, this is a different conversation for a different pod. Yes, it very much. Stay is. tuned. Stay tuned for our uh, for our new pod, talking down movies that other people like <laughs> with, with Derek and Juan. Which, frankly, I really liked Boyhood. It was, has issues. I mean, yeah, I mean, it has its issues. That didn't keep me from giving it a perfect score and naming the movie of the year for me. Yeah, I know. Whatever. You're you're Canadian. 
Okay, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I don't know. I'm tired. If you would have said you're a white dude in his 20s, then yes, you have a full-on point there. I, I was 100% going to say agree. that, but I wanted to be nicer, and I wanted you to make you admit it yourself, so that Listen, worked well. Listen, I am, like, constitutionally incapable of disliking boyhood because that you're kid up on the screen was me, okay? I know. That's great. Anyway, back to... A young, artsy-fartsy white dude who would be about my age now? Yeah, right on. That's me. Cool. So back to Blackula. Back to Blackula. Um, oh, oh, another thing that I noticed was like not a single scene takes place in the daytime, or at the very least when they do take place in the daytime, or presumably so. They're always inside. Exactly. Literally, there isn't a shot of the daylight until the very last bit of the movie when he walks out into the sunlight. And I thought that was Where really he cool. who is enslaved by a curse exercises free will. Exactly. For the first time in 300 years. Hooray. And, well, hooray, but he ends up dying. And I'm trying to I think, know. there's not a ton of movies where vampires self-terminate like that. There's Yeah, but there are a lot of... There's uh, like there's like thirst where that happens. And it's just as sad. It's fucking heartbreaking. Yeah, there's a... I mean, I know there's a season of True Blood where they do that. Uh, we don't talk about television on this podcast. I don't give a shit. <laughs> it must happen on, like, Buffy, right? Yeah... But I'm talking like movies, though. Whatever. I mean, I can't think of any movies off the top of my head outside of Thirst. Uh, yeah, it's the thing. The only thing that I can think of is Thirst, and that's remarkable. And I think they did a good job of using that as sort of like a thematic tool. I think so, too. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, Bill Marshall is really selling the ending there, but, you know, I get the idea. And Bill Marshall really, like, knocks it the fuck out of the park. He's the so king good of cartoons, man! He really he is kicks, so fucking kicks the ass of this role. His delivery in every single scene. Like, he makes you care about Mamoade so much. And yeah, he has a lot, I'm so yeah. delighted. Yeah, it brings a lot of gravitas and soul to this role. Absolutely. Is there anything else, like, thematic that you want to talk about or something else that you wanted to uh, elaborate on? Oh, no. That's the problem. I don't think I have that much more. Uh, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like, I figured this was going to be a shorter episode because I didn't have that much either. Do you know if the two ag- the two writers are white or black? You know what? I tried looking and... Since, and I couldn't figure it out either. Yeah, it's the thing. There's no pictures of them or anything. Nothing on their IMDb. And the only two credits that both of them have are this movie are these two and Scream, Blackula Scream, <laughs> which is a sequel to this film. Um, which, speaking no. of Scream, Blackula Scream, I actually, like, I was reading the plot for it and I'm kind of fascinated to watch it because it just... Obviously, the first film ends with Blackula committing suicide. But, like, <laughs> apparently this movie involves Pam Greer. Yep. Um, the great Pam like, Greer. <laughs> resurrecting him <laughs> from the dead, which, I mean, not, or she doesn't, rather, her successor and son, <laughs> re- like, oh my resurrects God. him to do his bidding. And that sounds so, like, Still played by William detached. Marshall, though. Yes, Still absolutely. played by William Marshall. But that sounds so detached from, like, the former film that we've just got. Like, it sounds so completely ridiculous. Like, William Crane, the director of this film, is white, right? Yes. Some of the great black exploitation filmmakers, ironically enough, are also white. Jack Hill is also a white man. Uh, obviously, there's like no, there's no dearth of great black filmmakers from the era. You just have to think of the Gordon of Gordon Parks and his son, who are both great filmmakers in their own right. I mean, Gordon. Uh, 
Gordon Parsons obviously did Shaft. Shit, what was the movie that Gordon Jr. did? I don't know, but Shaft rocks. He's a bad Sha- mother. Shut your mouth. Are we talking about Shaft, though? No, we're not. But uh, So I guess I can't dig it. Oh, wow. I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't deserve this. Gordon Parks Jr. made, made Superfly. Superfly, yes. Speaking uh, of which, Superfly came out the same year as Blackula did. You know what? I didn't see all of Superfly. You shame me. I know. It's shameful. Black exploitation fascinates me, but I feel like I haven't seen nearly enough. Oh, no. It. I mean, I mean, yeah. And like, uh, like something like Black Dynamite doesn't count. Obviously really. not. Because that's like a, a spook. Like I think it was uh, this dude, Matt Lynch, who I think we're all sort of sort of familiar with if we're on Letterboxd or Twitter or whatever. Yeah. I was on a podcast one time and he said that a lot of people I like like Black Dynamite. I think that movie's a pile of shit. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. I think yeah. that movie's a pile of shit. It says that it's a parody of black exploitation movies. That's like a parody of five black exploitation movies. It is. It's true. He, his <laughs> argument is that, you know, there's like uh, a breadth and depth of genre and performance and everything just as much in black exploitation as there is in any other kind of cinema, which is true. And that basically that black dynamite was just harping on the greatest hits of black exploitation, like your shaft and your Foxy Brown and whatever, whatever, whatever. which frankly, I don't think is a bad thing. You know what? It's fine. I thought that movie was hilarious. It's I still delightful. think that the deducing scene in that signals the third act change Mm-hmm. In Black Dynamite is still like the funniest thing. <laughs> it is, honestly. I think it's hilarious. But anyways, we're not talking about Black Dynamite. We're talking about Blackula. Yes, we are. And this movie was pretty cool. I mean, we thought that it was. We both thought that it was going to be sort of a lighter, campier affair. It played the material straight. Had some weird tone issues, but it was still really good. William Martin. Yeah, and actually, right? I think I think my only other complaint is like it's a little too long for its own good, which I didn't expect to There's say no- about. Yeah, there was no reason this shouldn't have been, like, 88 minutes. Or, like, an hour 20, honestly. Uh, the score is great. Gene Page was a uh, very uh, famous and in-demand arranger. And mm-hmm. uh, what I like about the score is that it's not just funky shit, it's also horror shit. Yeah, it is. And, uh, yeah, so I guess knowing that, I think you know where we'll fall on the fresh, rotten dichotomy. We're both on. on the fresh side. Oh, well, yeah, we are. <laughs> uh, this movie is really dope. Uh, look for it. Find it at your in a local independent video store. Uh, rent the shit out of it. Watch it. Enjoy it. Do the thing. So, Juan, since this was my movie, what the hell is your recommendation? It's really hard for me to pick a recommendation because, like, I look at all the other 1972 films and I'm just like, eh. Yeah, we can't and, really go like, into usual I can't recommend because... television because... Well, that's against the rules. Exactly, which sucks. Because <laughs> I would have just said Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> right. <laughs> just watch the entirety of Pee Wee's so Playhouse. Watch the whole run of Pee Wee's Playhouse. I mean, you should do that anyway. Oh, yeah, you should do that anyway, but. Um, it can't but be I our guess official recommendation. Uh, solely because next or uh, Woody Allen's new movie, which doesn't look particularly good, but whatever his Are you new movie to is an coming irrational out. Man? Yeah, his new movie's coming out, and um, I figure I should just go ahead and pick one movie that he did not direct, but he wrote and starred in, and that I really, really like, because it's very much just like 
a neurotic film critic and Casablanca and like I can dig that that's me (laughs) and also Herbert Ross directed it and Herbert Ross is cool um but it's uh play it again Sam I have not seen this movie it's 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 really fun it's really good early Woody Allen in my opinion um I really dig it I feel like more people should watch it because I feel like nobody does watch it and it's uh, Woody Allen, Diane Keaton, Tony Roberts, uh, other people, too. <laughs> um, and, like, Humphrey Bogart is a main character, even though it's not actually Humphrey Bogart. But it's <laughs> it's just uh, his existence in the movie. But, um, you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, Derek, what's your recommendation? Uh, I, too, am going to take a movie from 1972. Uh, I was torn between the movie I'm going to recommend and Slaughterhouse-Five, the George Roy Hill film, the adaptation of the Kurt Vonnegut novel, which is really good. It's scored by uh, Glenn Gold, and the match cuts in it are amazing, but I'm not going to recommend that movie, even though that movie is dope. What are you going to recommend, then? I'm, I am going to recommend a Western starring a very young uh, Jeff Bridges, directed by Robert Benton, who's probably more famous for Kramer vs. Kramer. Uh, this, movie oh is, this movie is called Bad Company. It's a uh, western where Jeff Bridges plays a con man, and uh, they flee the draft. They're basically draft dodgers during the Civil War, and they're basically trying trying their luck out uh, in the old, trying to get to the old west. And uh, you know, tragedy befalls them. It's a it's one of those sort of it's kind of a mood western or a revisionist western. (laughs) A mood western. It is a mood western. It's like. I was going to say Dead Man, the Jim Jarmusch movie, but that's more of an acid western. But it's the same same idea of like sort of uh, painting the uh, the Civil War era with uh, with drab colors as well as it should. And uh, it has a great performance by a dude called Barry Brown who died not too long after this movie was released. But it's a really, really, really solid performance in a really, 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 really solid movie. So yeah, bad company. All right then. All right. So Juan – uh, your pick next time. What the fuck are we doing? I don't know. I have so many <laughs> options. You have I, several hundred options. I know. Um, I guess I'm going to go ahead and pick um one of two Zack Snyder movies that I have yet to see, oh. which Derek <laughs> was telling me just earlier that he thought he'd seen all of the Zack Snyder movies except for this one. And then he just started listing off movies that he hadn't seen. And I'm like, Derek, you've only seen two. I've seen two. Here's the thing. I keep, forgetting, I keep forgetting that this guy is so forgettable that I keep forgetting that he's made other movies than the ones that I've seen. I say this as a fan of Watchmen. But, you know, I say this also as a fan of Watchmen. Uh, but anyway, the movie that I'm going to pick is not Watchmen. It is Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. Hoot hoot, motherfucker. I know we're watching a movie about animated owls. And CGI animated owls. This is <laughs> going to be an intriguing time here at uh, Stuck in the Middle with You Industries. We're going to be watching, was it Legends of the Guardian, the Owls of Gahul? Released in 2010, directed by Zack Snyder. Woohoo! Who? Uh, hoot hoot! <laughs> so, oh yeah. uh, man, <laughs> this is gonna be weird. You go ahead and do your do the plug plugs. In. All right. 
Juan and I run a website together. It's called Dim the House Lights. You can find it at dimthehouselights.com. It's where all of our long-form film criticism goes. Uh, we also write with three other people, Michelle Arf, Chris Mello, and Ross Burks. Right now, right now, as you're listening to this episode, assuming you're listening to it in uh, July or August 2015, and, and if that's not the case, hello from the past, everybody. We are in the middle of a thing on Dim the House Lights called the 1989 Tournament of Films. We've uh, picked 12 movies to go head-to-head in a battle royale single elimination tournament to figure out which one of those 12 movies is the best. The first round is done. You can find all of the first round essays and all subsequent essays in the tournament at dimthehouselights.com. Juan and myself are also both on Letterboxd and Twitter. Juan is at Whoa, it's Juanito at both places. That's W-O-A-H, it's Juanito altogether. I am at both places at Derek underscore G. You can visit our podcast's Tumblr page, which is at S-I-T mwipodcast.tumblr.com there you can find links to our old episodes our rss feed and also our itunes page where uh, you can subscribe to us leave us a message a review uh, all sorts of cool shit to help out the pod in ways that don't cost you money because this pod doesn't cost you money to listen to Woo. yes um i think that's everything i think yeah. that is everything probably uh but uh, yes, that is everything, I believe. So uh, we're going to be watching some some owls do shit next time. And until then, see you in two weeks. Have fun. Bye. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Delightful. <laughs>